In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Today's Money Tales guest is Alex Battorf. Alex was a co-founder and CMO of a multi-million dollar backed e-commerce company. Five years into that business, Alex found herself in the company instead of being on top of it. She realized that her purpose and pursuit of profit were imbalanced because she forgot what she was pursuing the profit for. Ultimately, listening to her body and soul, Alex resigned to pursue a new adventure. Hi, this is Sandy. Alex is the founder and CEO of Get Shit Done the collaborative supporting women entrepreneurs in scaling generational impact. Get Shit Done is a highly curated community and platform activating access to the right resources, connections, and collaboration at each stage of their scaling journey. Alex is a fellow podcaster, and she has been featured in Forbes Business Insider and is a frequent speaker. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from this discussion. Now, on to our conversation with Alex Batdorf. Alex Batdorf, welcome to Money Tales. Thank you so much for having me. It's really special to spend some time with you today. Would you start us off by giving us a little overview of your life, in particular focus on a couple pivotal moments that really make you the person you are today? I am from an awesome, awesome family. I think that was one of the things I was blessed with that not everybody is in this life. My mother is African-American. My father was white American. And I'm the youngest by eight and nine years. So by the time I came around, my parents were kind of like, mm, whatever. <laughs> so I got, it, I got away with a little more things. I think a big part of Coming from such a diverse family across the board, we look like the United Nations. So it's not even just my immediate family. It was on both sides, my parents' siblings, the majority married outside their race. So my entire family looks all over the world. So Samoan and Filipino and Mexican and everything. So I just had a different lens on life and what could be accomplished and had a, a family dynamic where I was never told I couldn't do something because of how I looked, whether it was ethnically or because I was by, a woman by gender. So um, that was a really big thing, I would say, just giving context of my upbringing where my father was also a white male who was married twice, both to black women. 
And so I also had this really interesting dynamic of having someone who it's the most privileged in society honor us so much and treat my mom like a fucking queen. And so it was just like, that was a love of his life. Like I, I, I want to give that type of context because I think that also gave me so much room to be like, Oh, I can do freaking anything. And I'm, I deserve it. Right. So that was the first thing. And then fast forward, I get to undergrad. I, I wasn't the kid that thought I was going to be an entrepreneur since I was a little girl. I was the kid that wanted to experiment with things. So I love this book range. And it talks about how like generalists are going to run the world because it's your ability to connect the dots. So as a kid, I was blessed with a mom who, you know, when my parents got divorced, she was like, oh, I, w- I want to do tap today. Okay, let me put you in tap. I want to do ballet. Now I want to do guitar. Now I want to do soccer. Now I want to do basketball. And even though it was exhausting for her, God bless her soul, she still gave me that ability to say, you know what, I'm going to support my child in experimenting and finding her own way. I think another thing around context is having a mom who was very directional, navigated very well, gave structure, but also never suffocated who I was becoming, which I think is one of her superpowers and why she raised such really amazing children. I'm really good at spotting talent and getting us towards a certain vision. But I don't think that would have happened if I didn't dabble in all those different things to understand what piques Alex's interest and what is she most passionate about and also what am I really good at doing. And it's really hard to do that when you're only stuck in doing one thing for so long and you haven't really explored. And so by the time I did get to school, those accumulation of experiences were really powerful because, again, context matters. I get into undergrad in 2008 during the worst economic recession and of our time. And so I'm thinking, and along with my classmates, we were sold a fucking lie. This is all bullshit. We were told you go to the fancy school, which I did. I went to one of the top schools in the world. And we're now seeing people who got the fancy degree and they're coming out and don't have jobs. They don't have that promise, quote unquote. And so that was this really interesting moment. And if you read and follow Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about this through his own podcast, Revisionist History, where he connects the dots in time. And if you notice this surplus of entrepreneurship tends to happen during moments like we're in right now with the pandemic, it's people saying, well, quite frankly, fuck the system. I was like to, I'm going to do it my way. And we're actually seeing this interestingly right now with corporate America, the great resignation, people saying, what am I doing this for? I'm not happy. I don't get to see my family. These are the most, I think one of the most beautiful moments in time. So in that point, I was in 2008. I'm like, well, I want to be in somewhat control of my destiny and my freedom, even though entrepreneurship is not, (laughs) there's just as much risk, more risk actually. But again, the, the person in me and probably every coach and therapist tells me I would be an awful employee. So it was the route for me. And in that moment, there was a group of us that started this entrepreneurial club, which now looking at it, the school went from that having nothing. And it was just us few, few people to now they have a fund and all these entrepreneurs and so on and so forth. But so many of us went on to build companies that, that went to Y Combinator, were recognized by the White House, went on to raise capital and exit. And that was a really pivotal moment because that first company in undergrad, I was 19 years old. 
And I learned a lot of things. I learned that recruiting teams and not just recruiting your friends, <laughs> bad idea. But also that's when I learned how to pitch investors and the theater kid in me. I was in theater for, from high school to college. I was like pitching investors is like being on the stage. And I was also in a pageant when I was in high school. So I'm like, oh, I got this. You're just like, this is great. And so it taught me that even though that company failed miserably. Oh my goodness. 19 year old, I didn't know shit, but I learned shit. And so it taught me and brought me to my next company, which went on to exit in 2019. As we were scaling my former business, ZipFit, it was an e-commerce company. We were in the top percent club. It's the top percent of women entrepreneurs who had raised capital. Top percent of women entrepreneurs who have scaled beyond a million because only 1.7% of us have done it. We probably scaled that business. I'm in for, for five years. I get to year four, something in me is saying, mm, Alex, time to go do the next thing. And here's the thing about me. I'm a natural builder, visionary. I love building shit up. I love taking things that I have in my mind and seeing it come to life. I love it. I love breaking shit up. I love scaling shit up. I do not like maintaining. Maintaining is not fun for me. I know when to pass things off. But at that time, I was still in this moment where I'm like, oh, I want to, you know, I was, my ego was so wrapped up in things like I had become uh, executive by a certain age. I had raised all this money by a certain age. I had blah, blah, blah. And I started making what I did become my identity and who I was, which is a very dangerous place to be in. So instead of listening to my natural gut and inclination and intuition that knows better, I kept pushing it down. I start becoming more and more disenchanted with what we were building. And a couple things were happening. And this happens so often in the startup space is you start scaling for growth's sake, growth for growth's sake. And that is one of the worst places an entrepreneur can be in because we don't just grow things to grow them. We want to make an impact. I'm getting more and more exhausted. And I know that messages come to me in three forms. The first is it comes to me spiritually. Mm, that's that gut feeling. Then it comes mentally. I started getting mentally drained when I don't listen to the spiritual cue. When I know I've missed every single sign is when it manifests in me physically. So it was to the point I was physically exhausted. I was getting physically ill. And I'm, not, I'm like, I'm healthy. What's going on? And it wasn't until I get into a meeting with my form, one of my former co-founders, random meeting, and they sit me down. And I remember I was like, oh shit, because I have a meeting with them and right behind them is one of the investors on our board. And I'm like, this is never good. What, what's going to go down? So then they sit me down. They're like, Alex, you're such a hustler. We couldn't be where we're at today without you. We want to raise your salary by X amount. And I just laugh because I'm just like, we're startup founders. We're all well underpaid. Even if you increased it by that much, I'm still not at my market rate. Put it back in the company. I want my equity. Tell me the butt. And they were like, but we need you to step down as CMO. I was a CMO and co-founder so we can make room for gray hairs. Mind you, I am the youngest person on my co-founding team by five and nine years. And I'm just like, huh, okay. And then it keeps going. They're just like, well, also, well, we're going to bring in these gray hairs. You'll still be doing the same thing, but maybe you can be a marketing manager. That's, that's punch in the face too. 
So you're telling me I'm still going to be doing this work, but you're going to put probably a white guy with gray hairs in my role to take credit. Cool. And then you're going to demote me in my own business. Cool, cool, cool. Keep going. And then we're, we think it would be best if you told the company of your new position because it would look like an act of courage. And it was like, boom, 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 KO. Like, I'm just sitting there like, the fuck just happened. But the weirdest thing was happening in my body. I, can, I still remember all these feelings. It was feelings of, because I'm a natural fighter, I wanted to jump over the table and take out both of them. Then there was also sadness. And then there was this sense of calm and peace and excitement. It was the weirdest fucking concoction of feelings I had ever felt. And it was because my ego and who Alex really is were fighting each other in that moment. It was saying the, who Alex really is, is actually feels free and excited because she's been knowing it's time to go and do her next thing for a minute. And I give all of those moments because that led me into the work we do today. I get shit done. I wouldn't be such a champion and fighter for women entrepreneurs at the, it, to the extent that I do it, to the boldness that I show up as, if I did not go through an experience where I felt disempowered myself, because it's so easy to preach at people when you've never been in their shoes. It's so easy to preach and say, you should do X, Y, and Z when you can't empathize with their experience. But when I show up and when we build this movement and this organization that is a safe haven of badassery for women entrepreneurs, it's because it comes from the fury and all of the experiences of Alex saying, I want to protect you in the way that I felt I wasn't. I want you to be in the driver's seat and I want you to have optionality. I want you to feel empowered enough to build a business on your own terms and know the logistics behind doing it because I know what it feels like when you feel like you have no control over what's happening in your business. And those experiences, I think, were the most pivotal, at least in getting me to the work we do at Get Shit Done and why I go so hard and the way I go hard for it and fight the way we do for women entrepreneurs because I am them. Oh, my goodness, Alex. I am so amped up right now. <laughs> Well, I'm happy. I'm, I'm so too. pumped. You, you're good at what you do. And I love where it all began. And I love how you started talking about your family, this awesome family. So we're going to take you back there. You seem like someone who did a lot of different things, but at a young age, what were you rolling up your sleeves and, and doing? I was really the artsy creative kid. I think what's really important is Creative kids, you can do this shit too. Yes. Um, I had to learn numbers. I, you know, in terms of, someone said something to me the other day. It's just like, I don't know how to math well, but I know money well. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yes, that's me. So I was always the kid of, if it feels good to me and if it feels like it's calling me and I'm excited to do it, I want to do it. And I did guitar, I did flute, I did kind of all these different things. And I think it, the, the entrepreneurial piece of me wasn't really activated until I got to college and could see, wait, all of these things like being in a pageant before, being 
in theater, like I already know sales. I've been doing that forever. Like I've always been okay going up to people. And even if it's, I'm scared, it's just like, and scene, what are we going to do? Like I can be another person right now. I had these really weird, random experiences that all built up to activating what my purpose is. Cause I think we also, you, we kind of try to package purpose. Like it's just something, you know, I don't think you really, like some of us are lucky enough to know it from a really young age. Some people don't even know it till 60, 70 and that's okay. But I think honoring all your experiences and going where your gut tells you is really important. And so all that random shit ended up working really well for me when I finally did come to entrepreneurship because it's like, oh, I can sell. I know how to tell a story. I know how to pitch to, and that's pitching to investors. I know how to get customers because I can just go randomly talk to people. So that was me as a kid. I was more of a, I want to do things that feel good and fun and creative and then I'll figure it out. Alex, tell us about money when you were a kid. What was the money situation in your family? You say you do money well today. Give us the backstory to all that. Oh, no. It was garbage as a kid. It was bad. Um, God bless me, my parents. It was bad because it's all learned behavior. I did not come from poverty, but I did not come from money whatsoever. My last company that got funded, there was no friends and family for my family. It was hug, good luck. You got this. But money, I just remember my mom was in my in my head pretty good at money. She was good at budgeting, good at making sure that no matter what, we were able to do the things that we wanted in terms of activities. My mom always had this thing, and she's still to this day, is that my kids are gonna be smart. I don't care what you look like. She's like, that shit fades. I don't care about that. My kids are going to be smart because you know what that gets you? That gets you somewhere in life. And so I just remember her motivating us and wanting us to do all these things. And she would make sure to find the means to do it. But as I got older and even now seeing that there, she was taught a fear-based mentality around money. And I think it's a lot generationally too. You don't rock the boat. You get your 401k. You stay in the same job most of your career. My mom has worked for the state of Washington her entire career. And they love her. They love her. Why wouldn't they? She's a beast. But that was what I saw. And she was like, don't rock the boat. So when naturally, when I wanted to become an entrepreneur, my mom, first thing she said, because I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor until my first week of college. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I cared about making impact with people. And I was like, well, that's doctors. And a lot of families, I don't, I don't think this is exclusive to certain families. I think you hear this in a lot of families, especially families of color. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to go in finance. And that's what I heard in my family. So I was like, well, that's success, right? And then I remember the first week getting to school and talking to my mom. And I was just like, yeah, no, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to do something else. And my mom's response was like, oh no, Alex, we need more black doctors and lawyers and all this thing. And I was like, mom, chill. Gonna, it's going to be fine. That took her a few years until I started getting some wins and now she trusts me. But it was very much so a, a lot of fear-based lack. I remember a, a pretty tough time, traumatic time, even though she, I didn't even realize it was happening because I think a lot of single mothers do this. In middle school, we had moved, I'm originally from Seattle. We moved to Houston. My mom went to law school there. You know, I'm about to go into high school 
And a few months prior to that, I, I guess my mom had lost her job. I had no idea because my mom put up a barrier and a shield for us and was like, you're going to focus on being a kid. And so I didn't think anything was wrong. And then she drops the phone. We need to move back to Washington to be with family. Lost my job. Can't afford to be here. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what, what's happening? And so I had to get up, which again, context was great because in middle school, I moved to a new place, learned how to be comfortable with the unknown and starting over, which entrepreneurship is all about. And then high school have to do with the same thing. You're really pivotal years. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable and had to get really comfortable being uncomfortable. But around the money piece, I just always saw that sense of the, the rainy day, right? Is like save up for a rainy day versus save up for a great day, a joyous day. But that was learned behavior that my mom got passed down to her. And so I think she was pretty good with money, but it was always like play it safe. And the who I am in, in, internally and just... <laughs> and just in general is the go big or go home. And so there was a lot of, I think, internal stuff that I, I had to deal with wrapping my head around that because sometimes when I wanted to go big, there would be a slight hesitation because there was that fear of, well, you don't have anything to fall back on. I don't have a trust fund. I don't have a family that can just put their 401k up or a line of something on their house equity on their house. And so it could be okay. So your, your business will be okay. That wasn't my experience. So I would say from the root, it was always around fear. And that's something I still deal with today. Even when I'm just like, Alex, you know how to do this shit. There's still that. I mean, I talked to one of my friends, Whitney Heaton. She's another amazing entrepreneur, scaled her company to 15 million in three years. And she was like, when you've been broke before, you always remember what it was like to be broke. And so you, until you unlearn that behavior, you will continue making decisions that are around being broke because you never want to go back to having nothing. Alex, this go big or go home mentality doesn't sound like someone with a lot of fear. Have you worked on not being fearful? I've worked on it. Absolutely. Thank God for therapy. But I think this is in, in where what I call toxic positivity culture comes in. Something that really helped me with my, my now therapist was I was always trying to be so positive and say, I'm going to get over this and I want to love all these parts of myself and embrace them. And, you know, she actually challenged me and said, you know, Alex, instead of trying to love all parts, how about you just develop relationships with all parts? And that was such a pivotal point for me, even though. I have a go big mentality, whether you're an extrovert, introvert, whatever you identify as, if you are fully showing up, you will always have fear and alignment at the same time. And also understanding that just because you're fearful doesn't mean you're aligned. It's a lot of times telling you something about yourself, whether it was trauma, where you just need to be consoled in that way and say, it's good. But the way that I navigate that is that I'm going to be like, let's go. We're going to go big. But also saying, Alex, there's going to be a part of you that's going to be afraid. But it's more so how can you give yourself grace in that moment? And then how can you kind of, how can you kind of hold hands with your fear a little bit and say, you know what? You're coming with me. Like, this is annoying as shit. But hold my hand. We're going to go together. I love that visual. 
That's very fun. Thank <laughs> you for that. I have a, I actually have a tattoo on my side. It's me holding my own head. So it reminds me. The only thing I get in my way is my thoughts. So it's me with a cutoff version of my head. So it's a very, very morbid. I'm wondering, what was it like when you were doing the initial fundraising for your first company in college? Coming from this fear-based money perspective, you're out there putting on your, your best character to raise money. What was the internal conversation you were having with yourself in those moments? Do you remember? Yeah, this is actually really interesting because I now remind myself of what would 19-year-old Alex do as a 31-year-old. A lot of times, doing something new is great to play the fool because you don't know what you don't know. A lot of entrepreneurs will tell you that. If I would have known how hard this would have been, <laughs> if I would have known that all these no's would happen, I probably wouldn't have started. So I'm happy that I didn't know that so I could get through it. When I started pitching, it was more of a, I didn't really see at that time it as fear of money. I saw it as relationships because one of my mentors that told me very early on that, you know, investors invest in people, not ideas. And so I'm like, whoa. And that helped me to kind of reposition my identity with money it was like, this is not about me surviving off of this money or this is going to be detrimental to my own you know, well-being, this is, I'm building a relationship with these people to see if they believe in this vision and they want to come along for the ride. So I would actually say when I was pitching at 19, it was really fun. It was more fun than when I got older because I started experiencing lots of no's over and over, but then you get your yeses. And so I would say my experience with money fundraising didn't really trigger those feelings of, of lack or not having enough until my former company, we went through a situation where we had a lead investor that was going to put in a million and everything was great. Once you get a lead investor, it flocks. So that's what they always say. We want to lead. We want to lead. So we had a lead. So it attracted all these investors. The problem is this lead over promise under delivered had nothing to do with us. It was about their ability raising their fund because they were taking as much of a chance on us as we were with them because it was a new fund. And so come to find out they were only able to put in 7% of what they originally offer. What that ended up coming to was that many investors saw it as a red flag, even though it had nothing to do with our business model pulled out. That resulted in one of my co-founders and I having to Airbnb at our places. Bank of America probably sent me a notification every day for six months saying, your balance fell below 25 because I was just moving money around. <laughs> it was triggering when, what happens when it's all taken away? And this thing, you're getting all this momentum and then this blip happens. It was tough because I was living with my ex-partner at the time where, you know, he even had to sit me down. He was just like, look, you can't bring this shit at home anymore. Cause I was so sad. I was so angry. And I bring that home because I'm like, how did this happen to us? But it was also one of the best things because it got us super focused on building up traction, which gets shit done does today. Again, all of these experiences added up to what you end up ultimately doing. So we got hyper-focused on just getting lots of traction 
and serving our number one investors, which are our customers. And it ended up building this warrior in me and this other side and skill set. But it was also, again, that piece of me battling myself daily of fear around when's the ball going to drop and when am I going to be completely broken on the street, <laughs> which I knew in that case I wouldn't have because I was, I was fortunate enough to have a partner I can move in with against every part of the independence in me like oh my god I have to get out of my apartment but it was that was I would say that was way more triggering and again how I got through that was understanding that that fear was going to be in the room with me regardless but it wasn't about ignoring it it was about looking at it dead in its face and saying what the fuck is up today we got work to do but what do we need to what what's going on and I think a lot of that has to do with sitting with yourself and developing relationships with parts of yourself because what I would later learn in therapy was the child in me that was triggered from middle school of not having enough was being triggered when I was 24. And it had nothing to do with that moment. It was that little girl inside of me that said, I feel scared and I just need to be, I need to know it's okay. When you don't know it's going to be okay. Alex, thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of people have feelings like that in their life and we don't talk about it. And it's quite refreshing to hear you share that. So thank you. In your current business, Alex, you help women entrepreneurs thrive. You, you, you're a champion and a fighter for women entrepreneurs. Do you talk about money with your clients? It's a big part of what we do. What led me to get you done was an accumulation of all those experiences. And to give you an idea of what gets you done is we are the first ever collaborative accelerating generational impact for women entrepreneurs. And so a collaborative is basically our take on community because what I kept realizing was there were so many programs, so many communities And I still felt uh, through my entrepreneurial journey, I've been doing this for over a decade now. I'm in my third company. And I was just like, I don't feel like I get what I need for my business in these places. I'm definitely sharing interests with people, but it's the conversation I was having around like, what did you do to acquire more customers? What did you do to get that investor? Like that I was having with entrepreneurs that were also in the trenches. And a lot of times those look like men. And I would later realize I had a friend who's a VC the other day, send me a text that just said, Oh, I just got this new, this new gig at this, this fund. Here's the compensation. Here's the equity after investing certain amount of years. And I realized men talk about this all the time with each other. And it's smart because they know how to go to market and get what they're worth. Women are socialized as we're not good with numbers and I was socialized with the same bullshit and I'm like What if we created a space? Where women had to get very comfortable talking through this because Inspiration does not pay your bills You can go to as many panels and conferences as you want that will not help you grow your business What will is if you understand what you need to lean into for this thing to grow And that comes from knowledge sharing. That comes from learning from people with experience. That also comes from even peer mentorship. And so for me, it was like, again, a lot of founders, we build the things that we needed. And I'm like, what did I need 
when I started, but not only when I started as I was growing. And so we started with our accelerator program and we're traction focused. We are not a check accelerator. And the problem I would see was women were going down. And, and again, mind you, a lot of accelerators are, are centered around VC, not all the majority though. The fundamental issue is that with that is that a very small percentage of founders will ever fund. That is a completely different or get funded. That's a completely different conversation. Well under 1%. Yes, 2% of funding goes to women, but that's 2% of less than 1% that goes to anybody. There is much bigger, bigger problems. And that's why I get shit done. We talk about 4%. 4% of total business revenues come from women founded business. That needs to be much bigger because we go into business, the majority of women I know go into business no differently than men. It's because they want to make impact, not only for their families, but they're, a lot of times for women, it's their community. It's for society at large. That's where the nurturing within us is so powerful. And so we started with our accelerator. Our accelerator was how do we understand in small cohorts with little, like 10 companies at a time, what's informing and transforming traction outcomes? We are now going into our seventh in less than two years. We have served about 70 companies now, all women founders. And what we saw, and over time, we just get better and better and better because we see what's working. We've had founders who come in, they are increasing revenues 5,000% in 30 days. They are in, I mean, when they started with us, they were at maybe 5,000 monthly recurring revenue. They are now in 2021 alone, already at half a million with 2.3 million in the pipeline. We have founders who are closing Series A checks. And so for me, what I realize is that community that's not activated is not enough. And activated, the way we activate is around traction, saying all of these women want to build scalable businesses, but they're scaling generational impact that echoes beyond their existence. And so how do we make sure that can happen? We need to start talking about what it takes to get your business to level because if you're not giving yourself oxygen first, we're basically the blind leading the blind in these communities just talking to each other and no one's talking about what's working and not working. And so I'm like, what if we create a place where we have to talk about it? So our founders talk about their numbers. They talk about, okay, where am I at now? We take the shame out of it because we'll, we'll say it like, okay, Here's, okay, Emma, say what's going on with you. Farah, what's going on with you? And each week they have to do a stand up and they get comfortable talking because the great thing is once they see that they're not being shamed, no one's putting them down, people are supporting them saying, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this tool? Have you tried looking into this company? They're like, oh my God, you see me and you still like me? You still think I'm deserving of support? Oh my God, this is mind blowing. And then it just becomes this ripple effect. And the coolest thing is, as we bring more and more women on, we start seeing the OGs train the young, the, the new Gs coming in. So it's so cool to see, but we realize it's kind of like, one of my favorite sayings is, if we can't see you, we can't serve you. It's like you go to the doctor's office with all your clothes on. If they can't see you, what they're gonna diagnose? So I feel like so often, and this is not with bad intention. The intentions are good, but we socialize women to come together in community. And we tell our founders all the time, don't be nice, be kind. Nice to me is performative. And we keep telling women to perform and put on nice faces. 
and to say it's okay, I'm okay, I got it done, I'm superwoman, and women are being depleted of our own oxygen while we show up for everybody else around us. But for some reason, we're not getting further ahead when we are not incapable of it. We're actually fully capable, but it's the dynamics of how we were socialized. So we get you done. It's saying we're going to flip that and we're going to allow you to show up how the fuck you are and you are going to show up where you're at. So then you can get to where you're trying to go. So talking about money is the number one. It is central to what we do. Talking about numbers is central because the women that come to us are saying, I want to go big, but I just don't know how to. And I need someone to see me and support me in the way I need it. Fantastic. What is one of the most common financial questions that comes up in this group? I would say the, the number one thing, because again, this is not their fault. It's, the, it's what we're socialized and what we see in the media. It's how do I get investors? And I will tell you 9.5 out of 10 times, they're asking the wrong question. They're asking the wrong question. And there's some founders that are positioned where they definitely can be getting investors because they built the, the foundation to attract investors. But there's two questions you need to ask. And the first is, where is this company going? What's the North Star? And that is so integral because, again, this goes back to my own experience. I got depleted in my own company, former company, because I lost sight of why does Alex care about this? Who is she serving? And I see time and time again, founders become exhausted in their own businesses because they're so detached from their why. Founders aren't just like CEOs running a company. We're the ones so attached to it. It's our baby. And so the why matters a lot. And so I'll see founders that come in and they're saying, I want, I want to raise some you know, money from investors. And a lot of times they're conflating raising capital with needing revenue in their business. Different, completely. Again, money from an investor will never fix the business model and whether you can make money, your capacity to make money because it's, it, money from investors is meant to be an accelerant. The founder's job is to build the sturdy foundation so then any money that comes in can, be, can accelerate what you've already figured out. So that's the first thing is, well, well, why? And we'll ask questions a different, we'll just say, what does impact look like to you long-term? And we'll just hear them talk about, okay, I want to be running this at this year or by this year, or I want to exit by this time. And when they say we're in it for the long-term, I'll tell founders, uh, like, ask them first, what's your North Star? And then once I get them there to understand what their why is, then I break down, okay, this is what VC looks like. They typically want to see an exit between five to 10 years max, and that is an IPO acquisition of some sort. They typically want to see 3x growth year over year, and they typically want to see multiples on multiples on multiples, 10 to 30 times of their money. And that's why they care about billion-dollar unicorns, because they want to see a huge ROI. The reality is, and that this leads me to the next question for founders, is saying, well, do you think this company, from the model of it, A, do you think it could be billion dollars? Because 100 million and profitable and you own 100%, I think is also pretty awesome. Even 10 million, I think it's awesome. And then you just start seeing lights going up, boom, 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 boom. Like, 
no one talked to me about this because everyone's glamorizing founders who raise. I get it. I, I was one of those founders. I raised capital and I kept being asked to be on panels and be featured in things. And I look back and I still look at the ecosystem today and I, I, I get sick by it because I know that that creates a narrative of what success looks like. And so you, th you have all these founders thinking that they have to go down that path in order to be successful. So I'll get founders randomly just say, yeah, we're going to be a billion dollar company. And then I look at their market size. I look at the business <laughs> model and I'm like, honey, that means you have to saturate like hundred percent of your market. No company does that. Not even Amazon is there yet. They might be one day, but like they're not even there. So I, I think it's more about having, it's about having these real conversations. So I would say the common misconception around or, or questions asked, and I would say the wrong question asked is, how can I get investors? Instead, it's saying, what company do I want to build? And what does impact and success look like for me long time? So then you can choose a path and choose the right tools that work best for that version. Because i telling you right now, the number one asset in your business will always be people and you are at the center. You are the heartbeat. And if you are not okay, and if you're building some shit that you never signed up for because you didn't know better, you will be so disillusioned and so exhausted by the very thing that you built. Such great advice. And you're creating a forum for these really important conversations. And I, I almost see that as these women are coming in, are they parroting what they think they're supposed to be saying versus what's really important? So thanks for, thanks for being that tight. Alex, I'm, I'm wondering, you sort of brought this, the importance of this question up in, in your last remarks. How do you define success today? My favorite things I realized in the, probably the past couple years is joy. That sounds so pie in the sky, so like kumbaya, um, but it's real. And what joy feels like to me is things like sleep. You cannot go at the same speed constantly. Right. No one can. You can't go slow all the time. You can't go fast all the time. You need ebbs and flows where you can rest, you can rejuvenate. So joy to me is like I'll, let's say every time I wake up in the morning, first thing I just say is thank you. I've trained my brain to just say thank you. Oh my God, I made it another day. It's so great. But then I go into meditation. And then I just go into, what do I want my day to look like? So I have the conversation with the universe. This is how I want to feel today. And I'll include I, the things I know on my to-do list saying, here's how I want to feel when I do that. I did this today. And I said, you know what? I want to feel super connected today. I want to have a great conversation. And then I said things along those lines, because we're about to roll out our merch collection. I would say, I want to feel super creative today. and so. That's joy. And so I'm setting my intention from the beginning. And I noticed that by the end of my day, because I set it up in relation, not just here's my to-do list and my goals. We all have that. How do you want to feel when you're doing it? Because I realized I wasn't liking what I was doing, even though I loved what I did. I wasn't liking it because I kept going back to pressure, pressure, pressure. When Alex shows up the best way Alex knows how to and is optimized, not only do I benefit, everyone around me benefits from that energy. What's one piece of money wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners that maybe we haven't covered? The best thing you can do 
advice wise that's that has been the most pivotal to me i i don't think there's enough money mantras you can do there's a not enough affirmations you can do unless you understand the root cause of why you show up the way you do with money and one thing that helped me was obviously therapy and you know what if you don't have access to that right now and it might be a little expensive that's fine too i i suggest a book it's called the dark side of the light chasers it's pretty great it helps you to look at what are sides of yourself that are are things that you kind of push to the side because you're like, oh, I feel bad for feeling that way. Actually, those are the parts of you that need to be nurtured. The most important thing that you can do is understanding those parts of you that you, you might be scared. Why are you scared or fearful or anxious or what or or mischievous or reckless with money? Whatever your relationship is with it. And sitting down and just allowing yourself to sit with it. Think about like when it comes up for you, when you're feeling anxious, in those moments saying, why is this? And just kept asking yourself, why? If you can understand the, the systemic, like fundamental reason why you're triggered, you can have a much better relationship with money because now you know why it's popping up. Alex, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? My financial advisor. <laughs> Who knows? Like, honestly, thank goodness for Christy. I show up all the time and I'm just like, it's great because I can put out all the fears on the table and I know that it's her job to, to help me organize all that. And then it's always really cool because sometimes it's not as bad as we think or it's not at all. And it's again, what are those triggers? And by having an objective view, someone saying, Oh, Alex, you're going to be pretty good example of this was actually a couple of weeks ago. We sat down, we just brought on a couple of new hires and we went through the projections of what that looks like over the next few months based on our projections and our projected revenue. And she was just like in this, and cause she knows what my triggers are. She was like, Alex, by this month, you're going to feel a little bit of a pinch but I don't want you to freak out because by this month, a couple weeks later, it is going to work out. And so it's that investment in people and the way she helped me. Cause in that moment she saw my face, like, I don't like feeling pinch. I don't like feeling pinch. And she was just like, but Alex, I'm going to ask you a question. If you didn't make that higher, if you didn't bring on those people, what do you sacrifice? And I'm just like, Oh, more money. And she was like, so you probably, do you, what do you think? Do you need to make this investment and have a little bit of a pinch just for a very short period of time? And I'm like, yeah, Christy. <laughs> so it's my next money conversation is with my financial advisor. Also beyond that, it's, we have these conversations. This is second nature now and get you done in our, in our tribe of founders. So even though we started with our accelerator, now we have our community and it's in alpha mode and we're going to be opening it up beyond to our membership, our collaborative membership soon. But we talk all the time. Like we have people talking about, we had a poll recently, like, Hey, if you're doing corporate workshops, put in how much you're getting compensated. And it was so cool because could, people could see and benchmark. And then the person that was getting paid the most are like, let's talk. And I'm just like, this is what it's about. This is exactly why we're here. So I have this every day. I just talk about, <laughs> talk about money every day, get you done. Um, with our tribe of founders. Also, my really deep, deep, deep dive is going to be with my financial advisors. 
Alex, your answers make our hearts warm over here. These are great (laughs) conversations to be having. We're so glad you're in them. And we appreciate you sharing all of these great stories and perspectives with us. Keep doing the great work you're doing and having such a big impact on so many women and their businesses and their communities. We wish you a lot of joy. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks, Alex. Sandy, tell me, what was one of your biggest takeaways from our discussion with Alex Batdorf? Cammie, I thought this was very much a tell-it-like-it-is conversation. I appreciated how forthcoming Alex was about her stories and her perspectives. One of my biggest takeaways was how she encouraged listeners to get in touch with your why. And this is a theme that comes up in lots of different ways within Money Tales across many different episodes. And I think this is so important. We have to understand what is our why, what is motivating us, whether it's in business, in life, or with our money. What's our why? What is the purpose of our money? Why are we making decisions about it? How is it going to impact us? I also appreciated how Alex said for her, when she finds that she's not in alignment with her why, she's getting that message in three different ways. First, it's spiritually, then it's mentally, and finally, it's physically. And I think there's great learning there for listeners because we can all take note and and stop and think about things in our life when we're not in alignment with our why. How is it impacting us? Are we getting that gut feeling in our stomach that something's wrong? Are we feeling mentally drained? We can't focus. Or are we experiencing some sort of physical manifestation where we just feel sick? It's a really important skill to have knowing how misalignment plays out in you, especially as it comes to money matters. Because if your antennas are up, you can read your own signs and begin to make shifts in your life to get your money decisions and matters back on track with your why. Cammie, what about you? You know, along those lines, Sandy, was when she was talking about working with the entrepreneurs, the the women she's supporting in her new business, Get Shit Done. She said one of the most common questions is, how do I get investors? right? They're, they're entrepreneurs, they want to grow something they're really passionate about, and they know they need money. And they've heard that all along. And what I really love she talks about, which has a component of getting to the why is, what kind of business do you want to build? First and foremost, what kind of impact do you want to make? And that's really the why of their business. There's so much conversation, especially these days, grow, 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 grow for growth's sake. Well, I love, she said, what if you're a 100% owner of a of a $10 million company versus trying to be the next unicorn that everybody's talking about? That to me ties into that same idea, knowing your why, what are you trying to build? It also makes me think about what we do with our clients day in and day out, which is going back to their why, challenging the why, why's evolve as life evolves and making sure we're checking back in to, you know, understanding their values. What's the money for? And I think that's such an important message. I'm glad you highlighted that, Cami. I was just on a call with a client earlier today who has the opportunity to take their business in a different direction. And they were trying to figure out, well, geez, how should I be making this decision? Should it be based on what's going to produce the most financial reward for me? Or should I be making it based on what is going to be 
most satisfying to me and my place in the world. And it was a really interesting conversation. We, of course, said, focus on your own satisfaction level. Meet your why. If you do that, the money will come. If you focus instead on just the direction that will bring in the most amount of money and it's not satisfying to you, chances are you're going to get burned out and you're not going to be able to carry that torch for very long. Ooh, what great advice. What else, Andy? Another thing that Alex mentioned that I really liked uh, was get to the root of your money relationship, right? All those money mantras and things we can tell ourselves are great, but if we really haven't come to terms with what our relationship is with money, we're not at the right starting point. We need to get that fundamental down and really do some work to understand. Do we have what we see as a healthy relationship with money or do we want to have a different relationship with money than, than what we have? Get to that root. And then once you have figured that out, you can start building intentions. And I loved when Alex said, when she shared that she doesn't just think about intentions for her day, but she, she also adds in a layer of how she wants to feel when she meets those intentions. And I thought that was lovely. So let's make sure we know our, what our money relationship is. Let's build some intention about what we want to do to build on that money relationship to have a relationship with money that is most fulfilling to us, that helps us achieve what's most important to us. And let's make sure we understand how we want to feel about those intentions. Do we want to feel good? Do we want to feel strong? Do we want to feel confident? Do we want to feel in control? If we think through those layers of feelings, that adds another layer of really helping bring these intentions to life. Sandy, I have an idea. What if... We have a challenge for you and I, a challenge for our listeners about having money conversation intentions. So truly every day waking up and saying, who's my next conversation going to be? Who's it going to be with today about money? What am I going to talk about? What do you think about this, Sandy? Are you in? I love it, Cami. Let's do it. <laughs> listeners, join us in this great exercise because that's what it is. John Foley talked about waking up every morning and having gratitude. And I think that's one step. And then I think there's intentions. And let's have some money conversation intentions. Yes, the Money Tales Challenge. And please share with us what your intentions are. We will hold you accountable. <laughs> that's a great idea, Sandy. You can email us at podcasts at .com. Thank you so much for listening, Money Tale listeners. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.